0: To ship, to ship of, course. of course. It's time again for Build Engineering, DevOps, Release Management, and everything in between. Welcome to the Ship Show. I'm your host, Paul Reed. Sober Build and john Twitter and it's SoberBuildEngineer.com. And who's with me tonight?
1: Hi, this is Sarah mellon Hi, Hi, this is Yusuf uh, i've Build Scientist on Twitter.
0: How's it going, guys? Great, pretty good. Good. Well, so tonight for episode 26, we're going to be, uh, we have a panel reviewing Puppet 2013, which happened in San Francisco last week. I was able to attend and we assembled a panel of guests from all all sorts of walks of life to talk about the conference and what happened there. So we'll uh, get to that uh, right after News and Views. First up tonight, turns out that Nginx, the popular uh, web server and Apache competitor, uh, has gone commercial. Yusuf, you linked us to this article and it sounds like I guess they're selling it on a subscription. Subscription basis, starting at uh, just over well thirteen hundred and fifty dollars per instance per year. Seems seems kind of high for a per instance license, but I guess they're going to offer some extra stuff in the commercial version. Yeah,
1: um, I think they're offering a lot of management tools, and there, there's a lot of projects out there that use uh, you know the open source vanilla, I guess, uh, Nginx Chef server. Off the top of my head, I know he uses Nginx. On mm-hmm. um, a whole bunch of other projects out there, but yeah, it's pretty pretty cool that they're uh, they've got some commercial offering.
0: Yeah, um, looks like they're going to add health checking, commercial grade activity monitoring, advanced load balancing, dynamic reconfiguration, extended logging capabilities, high availability, and adaptive media streaming. So yeah, coming to a AWS Linux instance near you soon. That's something else they they noted that they tested and certified it for use in those environments. It'll be interesting to see, I, I, the article is talking that uh, IIS, it was fighting with uh, IIS for number, the number two slot. Apache's still number one, but Nginx and IIS are kind of going back and forth, so it'll be interesting to see if this pushes it firmly into the number two slot. Uh, next up, we have uh, an interesting thread that got started on the Linux kernel mailing list about is the Linux kernel being released too quickly. Apparently, the, uh, one of the kernels, it looks like the 3.10 kernel, had two releases in a single day because some patch didn't get applied before they shipped the release, and so it, it started a discussion about the Linux kernel moving too quickly. We'll link to the, the discussion in the show notes, but, yeah, I, I thought it was kind of an interesting discussion, because I've heard some kind of crazy things. You know, I've heard Linus say things like, no one should use the Linux kernel directly. Like, you, we, we don't we don't release it and manage the releases to be used by users. We we expect vendors to take it up and then provide something to their their users.
1: M- most of the big distros do that, right? I mean,
0: they do. But but what I find interesting is that this sort of idea that they're not even optimizing for that at all for the the user at all. They're just saying, well, you should always get it from vendor. I've always run the vanilla Linux kernels directly from from the tree, and it's it's interesting that the, I guess that they're just pointing out that. Uh, maybe their process and management around doing releases of the Linux kernel may not be as good as everyone assumes they are. Um, oh. I mean, doing a brown paper bag release of the kernel uh, within the same day is kind of, uh, kind of telling, I think. Hmm.
2: They upset end users that just pull down the vanilla kernel, like you're saying, Paul, or they upset vendors.
0: Well, I, that's a good question. I don't. I, I don't think they upset anyone. Um,
2: that thread is so long and there's so many RE 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 and like right. indications it's just Right. Well, I th- I think the bigger thing
0: is is any I guess I would say it this way, anytime you have a paper bag release, which which I don't know if people are familiar with that term, but that's what we always call releases that you're so embarrassed you put a paper bag over your head uh, within a day, you know, so they re- basically released the three ten kernel twice in one day because they forgot a patch. That is indicative of some problem. And I think people were pointing out is the way that we do releases serving the people that we want to serve. and I, again, I just always find it interesting that that they they actually uh, Linus has said in the past that he's not serving people that grab kernels directly, really. It's it's like end users should be using a distro-supported uh, kernel. So so it's just interesting what they're optimizing for. I never really sort of understood that, but eh. Uh, actually, on that note, uh, next up we have another uh, sort of similar story from Apple. They apparently released a beta uh, or a version of Find My iPhone that required developer login or had the wrong bit set so it disabled, like, logging in to find your iPhone. Uh, they corrected the problem later. It turns out it's interesting. Uh, I guess they corrected it without having to push a new app update. They, they did it somehow on the back end. But uh, I, I brought this uh, item up. I was uh, having a chat with someone on Twitter where they were saying, bring continuous delivery to phones. Uh, it was the takeaway. Uh, and it was like, no, that's not my takeaway. My takeaway is quality and process still matter even if you're doing mobile, which apparently, I don't know, it was, it was interesting. Did you see this uh, story?
1: Yeah, it was pretty uh, <laughs> pretty crazy, I, you know, but uh, I guess somebody, somebody goofed or maybe forgot to fe- turn off a feature uh, bit or, you know, whatever.
0: It, it is surprising to me, I, I, every single place that I have ever worked has done something like this. Most notably, the one I remember is VMware actually let a, a beta release of ESX go out the door, and uh so it was it was time bombed it had it was set up so that it wouldn't launch vms after 2 months or something like that and it was like a huge deal and this is one of those things we always talk about like ssl certificates i just don't know how stuff like this happens and that the, I, one of the interesting points the reason i brought it up is because a lot of people are thinking that continuous delivery or whatever buzzword, DevOps solves these sorts of problems, and it kind of doesn't. The other interesting bit was that there are two ways to view this problem. The the, uh, Apple App Store only lets you publish applications once every X days or once a day or whatever, so you can't continuously deploy a mobile app and your takeaway could be one of two things. Either you should have more process and QA around your apps before you push them, or the the app store should let you just deploy every single version of the app that you, you know, every commit that you, in a continuous delivery sort of fashion. And it's interesting because I think companies and developers would like the continuous delivery version of the world, but I think consumers would hate it. Uh, And there's this, that's always been a, long-standing dichotomy that people just kind of gloss over.
2: I'm curious about the continuous delivery for the phone. So just imagine for one second, I'm only going to talk about the iOS device. I'm not really familiar with the Android marketplace. So just imagine going to your app store and and you just check off, uh, yes, I would like to continually receive updates to all the apps that I have installed. And say you have 150 apps and I have 32 gig iPhone, just imagine if, I don't know, twenty gig of that or something is just rolling constantly because everyone's pushing updates. Like what do the people's data plans start to look like? Everyone just sort of maxes out and they're like
0: Well this is gonna be this is gonna be an interesting problem because or interesting kinda to see how this develops because iOS seven has turned off app update notifications and as we've seen with Chrome and Firefox, that's the first step. You know, don't tell users you're updating. That's the first step to basically allowing push 50 versions of your app a day. It's interesting. I I had a a, a quick conversation with Jez Humble uh, at Public actually, and... I think a lot of proponents of continuous delivery use continuous delivery as like, hey, we want to release the app as quickly as possible even when consumers don't really want that. And what's interesting is if you actually talk through kind of the tenets of continuous delivery, sometimes I think conceptually it sort of gets misused as a justification to like, well, we need to be able to ship... Broken app, so we don't have to care about quality because we can just update the app. I, there's an interesting sort of probably longer conversation, probably worth a whole uh, episode in and of itself. But yeah, I mean, how many times have you been frustrated when you download a version of the app and it just doesn't work? Or or they change something and it's broken, and people get frustrated and get angry, but they kind of put up with it. So I mean, maybe it's part partially the consumer's fault for just accepting brokenness as a state of the world now for pretty much everything. But I, I guess when it comes to phones, when I dial a phone number, I'd like the call to go out. So it's a little scary that if they were to allow some sort of continuous delivery on mobile Devices. I think there are real consequences, and there are a lot of unintended consequences of doing that. But I also don't think anybody cares. I think that that's it's in- inevitable. Knowing um,
2: Apple, there's probably going to be some silly option where this is only viable if you're if you have a Wi-Fi connection. Then it tries to like pull everything across that instead of using your you know mobile data plan.
0: Yeah, I, or it'll be interesting to see if Apple does anything like if there's certain number of complaints, but they don't let you do continuous delivery because you can't be responsible with it. I, I don't know. That would be weird. If they do some sort of policy around around that, I don't know. But the, the flip side of that, Apple has a big thing about curating the apps in their app store, and you could always, if you let people publish whatever app they want all the time, they could change their app to be against certain sets of rules and then change it back before. That would be an interesting uh, malware use case.
2: Yeah, Apple hasn't been flawless with their (laughs) curating, so...
0: Yeah, it's true. Anyway, uh, last up tonight, uh, Yusuf, you again linked us to a story about uh, SourceForge, Uh, the once mighty SourceForge. is following we'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, The TLDR is basically that, uh, I guess, DICE who now owns SourceForge, is shipping open-source project installers that do drive-by installations, and they've been incentivizing, or bribing, depending on how you want to view it, uh, projects to use their drive-by, I don't know, what's the word? Not (laughs) crapware, adware, installer, instead of the default installers.
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of unfortunate. I mean, you know, I, I used to use SourceForge back in the day a lot, and uh, it's, I don't know, I don't know, you know, once they started putting ads and now that's junk or crop or whatever, uh, yeah, they're kind of going downhill. But, yeah, you know, I mean, I guess once they got acquired, that's kind of what happens. But, I I mean, I haven't used SourceForge in a long time. I guess everybody's kind of using combination of uh, GitHub and uh, Google Code. Um,
0: it's interesting, though. GitHub is not a replacement for SourceForge. Uh, You're right, not. So, in so much as GitHub doesn't really do well, I guess they do. They I was going to say they don't really do like releases, but I guess you can get they the they do, just yeah, they just do. Now that I think now. about it, they do. I guess the reason I say that, that it didn't resonate in my memory as them having that because a lot of times those releases seem to be tied to things like Python libraries. They don't tend to ship like the the example they give was uh, what FileZilla, which yeah. is uh, a Windows BitTorrent app, I think. So you don't see that on GitHub, where it's like a lot, where it's like here's our compiled installer, and and you can download it from here. You you can get like Python code that you, or Ruby code, you know, that you don't have to compile as a release, and you can get the source code as a release but not really like but yeah it, it's sad to see though I have to say it's interesting I've noticed this with Slashdot recently where if you actually look at the names a lot of stories probably I would I would guess maybe almost a quarter of the daily stories are somehow linked to either a Dice author or link back to something through Dice from Slashdot so it looks like that was their strategy in buying them just to monetize
2: it all But that's a little incestuous
0: yeah, it is, but uh, yeah, but yeah. I guess that that's how times change. That is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, next up, uh, Puppet Comp 2013 uh, here on the Ship Show. Welcome back to the Ship Show. I'm Paul Reed. Tonight we're reporting from PuppetConf 2013, held at uh, the Front Run in San Francisco, and we're joined by an awesome panel to help us review and reflect on the event. Uh, I'm
3: here with
4: Don Foster from Puppet Labs,
5: Deepak Giridharagopal, the only one.
6: Um,
5: <laughs> <laughs> also from Puppet Labs.
3: Jordan Sissel, um, Eric
6: Sorensen, Puppet, Nigel Kirsten, Puppet, Will Farrington from GitHub. Welcome to the strip Show, all. Thanks, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh,
0: so first up, I wanted to start with uh, Luke's keynote. The slogan for the the conference was collaborate, automate, and ship, and he kind of led off with that. And I thought, it, you know, that really did a good job of, of sort of capturing kind of the theme of the event. Uh, I was laughing in his keynote. He kind of uh, a few minutes in was like, everyone in this room is weird, uh, and that he got quoted on that. And he was talking about the fact that you're at PuppetConf and talking about these things makes all of us kind of in the same mode of weirdness. And I think he made a joke about like, well, what kind of is this trolls under the bridge and where this is our event to go and get out from under the bridge? And then, you know, he, he kind of went in to talk about all of us as system administrators and Puppet helping us sort of uh, level up in a different way, talking about, you know, we're actually doing infrastructure code and things like that. Uh, so I wanted to kind of ask the panel about your thoughts on on that sort of, Humorous intro and and uh, sort of just the the uh, the group of people that uh, were here this year.
3: Yeah, so it's true that it's true that we're we're the weird ones, but I think it's less weird than it used to be in the sense that there's way more people here than than there were last year or the year before, have been doubling in size each each year that's gone on. So it's. Not quite mainstream, but it's certainly like the awareness is is uh, getting to a place that I, I you know we certainly haven't, haven't seen before. I don't think.
0: And I had to ask, uh, what were the attending numbers this year? So I think we were
6: trending up close to fourteen hundred. Wow! And we was, had about forty five hundred, maybe five thousand people in the live stream. Oh yeah! So and it, yeah, yeah. yeah, which was awesome. It was that the the, the, uh, the main
0: events were in the grand ballroom, and it was full. You know, there was like packed out. Yeah, everything. You know. Yeah. And so uh, Luke also talked a lot about uh, kind of the two major problems that uh, organizations are facing are sort of agility and culture change. And then he was talking about how sort of Puppet helps both of those. And and there were actually a lot of uh, stories in and, the and talks about how that's sort of being addressed. Do you have any sort of
5: memorable ones on that sort of like? Uh, like, I, I live, this is my last job um, before I joined Puppet. I was a user before I joined. I don't know. I mean, I think. Several years ago, I had to to work a lot harder to kind of sell the idea to people that you know automation is a good thing. It's not a threat. You shouldn't be afraid that your job is going to get automated away. And at the time, you know, you still end up with a non-trivial percentage of people that are like, "No, seriously, my job is to make sure user accounts are everywhere. You can't take that away from me. What else do I (laughs) have?" I'm like, "Look, man. I mean, the reason why you're you know, if you're a systems administrator, I think the reason why." you do good work isn't because you know how to make sure a user account is the same everywhere. You know, There's other knowledge that you have that, if it was
6: amplified... Like right? compiling patching. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I take the user list from HR to
0: Ops, that's what I do. Yeah.
5: What would you say you do? Here? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean seriously, I want you to stop with the user accounts and get back to helping me get my joystick port working so that <laughs> yeah. I can get Wing Commander running on my 316 <laughs> SX. I mean, I Ram doubler, Nigel, Ram doubler the future. As it turns out, there's a lot of problems. There's always more problems, as it
7: you know, it's 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 pretty easy. You can automate problems away, but you're gonna have a whole depth more to solve, especially in, in, in most traditional organizations, but even in, in organizations like uh, uh, Puppet Labs and stuff like that, where you guys are obviously kind of ahead of the curve in a lot of respects, I mean, there's, there's always more problems to tackle. It's never done, right? So you're not really getting rid of anyone's job, you're just exposing other problems that need tackling. You're, just you're getting rid of the problems. Shit
6: problems. You're getting rid of the really problems. Yeah. Yeah. Right, you're doing way you to the, the interesting department.
5: ones. <laughs> but I think, that was a, I think there was a bigger barrier for a larger number of people,
6: I would say, Three, four. I five think it's a year sooner than that. Like eighteen months ago, like you know, we did the DevOps survey last year and this year, and last year was lots and lots of people talking about implementing these sort of practices around automation. And this year was lots of companies talking about doing it. They've been doing it for three, six the months. Case studies. And these stories, are, you know, yeah. middle America IT. Yeah. It's not just cutting web scale companies. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: it's funny too, you've been about problems. It's uh, fixing the problems you don't know that you had because you had these handcrafted custom artisan servers all over your sure. infrastructure. <laughs> yeah. What is slightly different than Puppet is based in Portland.
5: We pride ourselves on our meticulously handcrafted software. <laughs> I
6: might say artisanal. Yeah. Artisanal. Artism- okay. <laughs> or- <laughs> organic ones and zeros. Did we announce gluten for puppet? <laughs> Dude, Nigel, you're... You're not supposed to... edit that out. Is it
7: cruelty-free, though? I want... It- how did you raise these
8: servers? <laughs> treat these ops
6: people. <laughs> well, I think it's more how we treat the developers. So I'm not sure we can entirely. Well, no, last year talked about three. cows was and was
8: talk about things. shooting the cows.
3: So, well, that is it was
7: free range system
3: So we're bring this back in for a sec because Jordan <laughs> had a good point here. It was uh, Tim Bell's talk that I think you're you're talking you referring yeah. to where he, he talked about the shift from uh, from pets to cattle. And, and where we have to make this shift from from a, when a pet gets sick you 'd sort of make it well and take care of it. They have special names, and you you really want them to be to be happy and healthy to this cattle like it has a serial number branded into its ear and when they get ill you get other ones. As much as we don't
6: like battery farming when yeah. it comes to servers you kind of want them to be See, like I that. mean, that's I'm a so vegetarian that. you know but So, I mean, so, so that's interesting. So how do I
1: mean, you fill about servers as cows? <laughs> <laughs> There's a fertilizer joke in here I'm trying to work on it but yeah. I'm not quite. It's not coming.
7: Yeah. I, I, think, I, think, I think there are different apply right like if if you're talking about servers that that are intended to be ephemeral if they're they're stateless by nature right these machines who do like things like background job processing serving web requests yeah it's really easy to treat them that way when your problems are constricted by data as it turns out moving terabytes of data around effectively when you need to get rid of servers is a really really hard problem i think i think you have to have a mix of those things right and that's that's it's it's a hard problem i'm not sure I haven't heard of anyone doing it, you know, quote unquote right, but a lot of people don't talk about it also, which mm-hmm. is like another huge problem in our space. Yeah. But having having a mix of the two, right? You talk about sort of like the notion of the hybrid cloud, which is just a fancy word for AWS direct connect. Um, but that's that's kind of what it's trying to solve, right? Is like you have these big metal servers that are doing very stateful things that are hard to, to swap out easily, mm-hmm. and then you can use the cloud for doing Lots of really interesting things around the, the components that are stateless by nature.
6: Even yeah. if you can't treat the whole server as cattle, and it's still a pet, though, yeah. at least some of the services on it can start being standardized the same way as other boxes. And so the whole farm may not be like other farms to torture. Well, if, 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 you're gonna, if you can really stretch the farm analogy, like,
8: you're going to have a certain sect of things that are cattle, but you're also going to have like a house. And that's the sur- that's the server, the data <laughs> server, you can't move. Or there's like, big functional machinery you can't just shoot right
5: <laughs> i think it extends all the way i don't mean i think it makes nope, a lot of no, sense this isn't going further i think it extends even farther into i would say the knowledge that a lot of traditional systems administrators have which is i'm sure we've all had conversations with people that you're an old school system man you understand top to bottom exactly how the sun e10k you know system works you know it and trying to take someone that comes from that environment and now you put them in a situation where, okay, that's great, that's great, you can troubleshoot everything all the way down to some kernel level thing. Uh, how quickly can you do that? Because I can spin up a new machine in about 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for, the, for the ephemeral stuff I have, I could do that. So to a certain extent, I mean, I wonder, it Maybe some of the difficulty is translating that knowledge into a universe where if it takes me more than a certain amount of time to solve this problem, it would have been cheaper or more economical for the business to actually tear something down and bring it back up again. So I'm, I'm going
7: to go out on a limb here. Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and please do, do not take this as a personal thing. I'm going to call that a facile argument. Like That is, to a degree, the same thing as having a cron. Scripts, right, that every half an hour is going to restart Apache because you have a memory leak in your, your Apache extension, right? Like, that's not
3: solving the problem. Word for GHH, the right? <laughs> oh. Never
7: Yeah, no comment on any of that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can mask it for so long, but eventually that's going to come back to bite you. It is the worst sort of technical debt, which is the technical debt you've acknowledged and chosen to explicitly ignore. If you don't come back and tackle it at some point, it's it's going to get you. Um, so I think, yes, in the short term, automating that problem away and just saying we're gonna spin up a new one, we're gonna restart it, whatever is a good solution. But eventually you do have to fix
5: it. But I think there's also like the YAGNI, like you ain't gonna need it principle, right? Like in a universe where, okay, maybe when it was really expensive to tear something down and bring it back up again, yeah, that's unseemly and I'm papering over a lot of stuff. But if I can keep doing that and it's cheap and my service stays up, maybe my time as a company, my engineering resources, my operations resources are better allocated somewhere else too. Not to say that it's not a problem, but maybe there are more important problems that I can't paper over that way. But I guess ultimately, I don't disagree with you. I guess what I'm trying to get at is maybe that automation presents a set of new tools, new approaches, new technologies that we can leverage that I think require that people maybe analyze the trade-offs in whatever they approach in a very different way than how they were approaching it before.
0: So we were talking about this earlier. I think a lot of people that come to this space, and I certainly had this experience, you know, there's like, should I use Puppet, Should I use Chef, and there's like, it, you know, it's a Puppet versus Chef argument. We were talking about this uh, before the show. And what I found amazing is that at the conference, like, there's none of that anymore. It's, we're all getting together and arguing that you need automation. It's like, right. we don't care which tool you pick, just pick one. And then there's, there's certainly going to be uh, organizations and people that, uh, certain tools like Puppet speak better to, and they're gonna be like, that makes more sense for my organization. And the chef people, same thing. And I, I, I there were a number of talks talking about, um, I think Luke even mentioned this, some of the new features that were coming in down the pipe that, you know, it's kind of like we're, we're kind of cross-pollinating features. Yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's I mean, a great This is, come this kind
3: of goes to the collaborate theme of the conference. And I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you think about it, it's really like the, the 5% of us that really understand automation trying to expand the, the total reach of automation, and the pie is getting bigger every day. So it's really silly to squabble over the other guy's 1% or 2%, right? It's all of us trying to go against this vast sea of people who don't even, aren't even aware that there's a problem. Right, we're trying to convince
0: the, the Solaris and AIX administrators, like, it's okay, it'll be fine. <laughs> well, I, I, think, I, think, I think
3: that's... Don't pick on the AIX people, okay? There's some very, some very sharp <laughs> AIX people who have been dealing with a lot of for a very long and time. And short, Weeds, they have extremely deep pockets. <laughs> 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 Wait, I,
0: I, as, <laughs> as a side, uh, the Puppet Labs release engineers uh, did a presentation that I attended on packaging, and you guys package for right? AI. I, you know, and I was like, I, I had to give them a hug, because I've had to do that. Right. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Those like,
3: guys work miracles, man. So yeah? It's unbelievable. Yeah. So
7: I, th- I think the other thing that, that hasn't been brought up yet, so so absolutely, yes, there, there are tons of people who haven't just been sold in the first place. But there's kind of a big push right now that I've noticed that really disturbs me a lot, which is people who have used configuration management and now believe that it's no longer necessary with the advent of all sorts of things. And that, that is, I think, an incredibly dangerous and, and naive notion. What do you think um, is the reason?
5: What, what are the reasons that you see them giving for that?
8: I think I, people fundamentally just don't want, they want to feel like the work that needs to get done is, is work that shouldn't need to be done. Right, I don't want to have to stand up a server, so I'm just going to pretend that work doesn't need to get done and then try and use a technology that maybe promises not needing to do these things. Do you mean that like, makes sense? Like
0: uh, platform as a service type stuff, where I just deploy my app and I don't have to worry about the configuration. I think we're all talking there.
6: around containers at the moment, aren't we?
0: And yeah. The whole well, not just, I think mm-hmm. not yeah, the, 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 the whole,
2: whole, whole image thing also, image. as well.
7: Like, when, when you really I mean, talk about, like, like I, I, think it's, I think it's sort of the next sort of progression, right? Like, people, people hate doing sh work, Sh work is not fun. And it's what, hap- what happened, I think, is the perception of what sh work qualifies as has changed. And now that a lot of people are starting to see configuration management as being part of that, it's still necessary, right? And I think it's a really naive assumption to say yeah. it doesn't need to happen. But there, that is a dangerous sort of trend. I see almost coming up in the developer community where they're, they're viewing the notion of configuration management as obsolete. When it's not, it's a step in the process.
6: I think I think. there's, I, I agree, I see that trend, but I think, um... There's kind of two... It looks the same from the outside, but there's kind of two driving factors. There's the people who are like, I just need to get work done. There are config management solutions out there. And the reality is we've all these projects have matured immensely in the last couple of years. And so it's not actually a case of it being cutting edge and all that interesting to a lot of people. And that's just work that they're doing. And then there's you've got the other people who are like, seriously, this doesn't matter anymore in this brand new paradigm shifting world. Like, do you think it's a mentality
5: thing? Or do you think that maybe the tools that we in this room think are really neat are still too complicated or at least the initial for it you know someone's like okay i have an app i want to deploy it somewhere uh, i could just write a script to do it and someone's like no 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 no. the right way to do it is okay set up your puppet master then you set up an agent and then you talk to them and then they're like did you just tell me to cool myself <laughs> and, and it went, why why is that why is that better than me just putting it in a tarball and having a script that copies it out there and i feel like I see the I think you're right, I actually agree with you. Like I see that argument, you know, on message yeah. boards and stuff like that over and over and over again. I feel it's the same retread and I, there's no easy way, I think. I feel really smug. I never comment, you know, I feel really smug saying, Well yeah, you try it. Try it your way, and then six months from now you'll realize why
6: that was such a terrible I mean, well, to be fair, I'll, though, I'll, sometimes a shell script is the right solution.
0: yes yeah. I will say this: it is interesting to me because we did the word association game, and that will actually be a segment after this. And I'm always amused at the responses I get to configuration management and release engineering because they're kind of all over the map. But a lot, some developers are like release engineering. That's all the bullshit. And then you're like, and then you're like, well, so what do you do? And you're like, well, you know, I, I take my RPM and I use yeah, I use FPM to to great create a package, and I do all this, and it's like. You're doing release engineering. You don't call it that, right? Yeah, You're doing yeah. configuration management. You're not calling it that. And I, I think the whole I'm gonna use the shell script mentality, like they that's some level of configuration management. maybe yeah. very simplistic, and they will eventually get to a point where it's like, well, I tried to deploy the app and it blew up, you know, six months later, and then it's like, well, let's hire an ops person, right? Yeah. Who's who's had that lived that story for their career yeah. and they're like, Okay,
5: let's go. I feel like it's kind of this, like, uh, the sort of armchair architect scalability boogeyman thing you see on the hacker news of the world, only it's in an operations context, right? Where, classic example, someone posts, like, hey, I built this thing, and then immediately all the comment threads are like, well, if you want this to scale from the ten users you have to ten million users, what you really need to be thinking about is using like a multi-data Rabbit center, and a reverse trace route, 24 bit <laughs> encrypted, you know, Death <laughs> Star or something or other, right? And then Plus yeah, yeah mean, absolutely, but it's and kind of like and there's there's some kernel of truth to that, which is I think you know obviously the commenter is trying to say there is. You know, it's not the don't be so short-sighted. Think a little bit about the future. But obviously, there's a continuum of stress you should subject yourself to. You can over-engineer something, and you know, I wonder if maybe these people that are thinking you know super simple to start, they're just on a different point in that continuum where they think anything beyond a really simple shell script is over-engineered, and and maybe they don't understand necessarily like the the you know to your earlier point, the problems that they're papering over.
7: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's certainly a possibility. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of always best practice to assume ignorance rather than malice in these cases, right? No one's no one's trying to intentionally say. Well, Here's well, a good tool. that.
6: He did say to the intent. said <laughs> I have
5: been name dropping people when they crack. People hate <laughs> like, uh, on the internet, right? Well, absolutely, they do. Uh, but to, to, circle to, the, to, to circle back to evil commenters.
7: To circle back to the questions that 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 Pack and um, uh, Nigel asked. Uh, yes, both. Like, in both cases, right? Like, I, I think you guys uh, brought up absolutely valid points. Um, it's it's a combination of the two. Absolutely.
0: Well, so I wanted to ask, because you brought up sort of the fact that these tools have matured a lot in the last couple of years, and I actually wanted to, back to the keynote, a, a number of sort of new initiatives and features were sort of announced, and I wanted to talk a little bit about those. The two that uh, I remember just thinking, wow, that's super important and, and fascinating to me, because I think as a release engineer, it's like something that, I I see the industry sort of moving away from was the commercial support for modules and also enterprise support for older versions. Mm -hmm. Because I think on the open source side, there's a lot of, you know, and and I I remember part of the the, um, reasoning behind that was to let the open source project move faster. But you know, if you spend a bunch of time and money selling a huge company and they go deploy everything with uh, 2.7 or whatever it is, and then you're like, Hey! screw you now you have to upgrade because we that's just not supported they're gonna be like screw you i mean that is a big concern and it's nice to see that being addressed
6: so i think it's really good i think it's like us being just really clear about who we're targeting there's like always going to be this segment of people who are like really involved in the community around the open source project who just really want to see super rapid progress and they're willing to deal with the upgrades themselves, they can put band-aids around them because that's the sort of people they are. Yeah. But it, the big enterprises are really different to those people. And sometimes those people even work at the big enterprises. Right. And they're like, I want to see huge progress in Puppet, I want to see lots of changes going on. But when I'm at work, right. I don't want to be woken up at 3am.
3: Let's right? let's talk a bit about the community too. And maybe Donnie can chime in on some numbers here. But but uh, there, there was seriously uh, highly well-produced video that that's led off before the keynote that talked about the, the growth in the community and the stuff that's been going on. I thought that was pretty pretty awesome. I was surprised, and I, I know some of that stuff, but it was surprising to me to see it, that much focus on it and to see that as just like, the lead, right? Even before early came out of before anything, it was like, here's here's where we're at with the community. Can I interrupt really good. quickly and just go, cause you talked about the highly produced video and Kent never gets any credit
6: Kent because he's always behind. Kent is our videographer at Puppet Labs and he's absolutely awesome. He even made me look really good in the ca- cool. So um, um, but getting, back to, getting
4: back to community, um, I can give you some of the numbers. So we've had almost 1.3 million downloads of Forge modules. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool, and we have eighty thousand people who have individual eighty thousand individual email addresses for people who have downloaded M Collective Puppet Puppet Enterprise or a Learning Virtual Virtualization Machine. Which system. was an awesome idea,
8: by um, the way. Yeah. Nice. Shout out to cool. Nick Feiglund yeah, Tech Writer of
5: Puppet did, Labs. Did a great job. Oh, your tech Writer? Yeah. Yes. yes, I love Tech Writers. <laughs> <Like>, excluding <laughs> PE. There's a new. PuppetDB actual like stand up installation doing stuff like about once every thirteen minutes, which I thought was crazy. I like ran the numbers. and like that's that, impossible like, that that to be right. <laughs> I believe.
6: Let me give you the softball. There isn't you. Maybe one of the most widely deployed closure applications in the world. I, I believe so. Yes. Yes. No, I, don't. I get paid <laughs> by the
5: <purposes>. <laughs> <laughs> Holy,
8: I wonder <laughs> you pick closure. I know. Oh, <laughs> right. i call myself a minivan. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
5: <laughs> I, have, I actually do want to talk about the support cycle thing though. Yep. Because I think there's I do think there's two parts to it. I think obviously commercial customers want to know that the stuff they've got is gonna work for a really long time. But I think that I think we dance around the issue around in that part of the reason why they don't want to upgrade this stuff is because they presume that there's a lot of volatility and there's a lot of risk in upgrading this stuff. Or they have to do a forklift upgrade of everything. I mean I I mean part of my job that I don't get paid for. I don't know. Maybe they should pay me for that but is, is to make it so that that's not nearly as onerous. For example, things like being able to allow mixed version deployments or being able to do like speculative upgrades for people, like being able to give you know customers more interesting tooling to analyze what the impact of an upgrade is gonna be. I mean, I think there's a certain threshold for a lot of companies where even if they're stu- you know, quote unquote sort of stodgy, commercial enterprises that don't ever want to upgrade anything. I think it's really just a function of how confident they are that they can upgrade this stuff Right, it won't, and full- they, it won't ruin their shit. Well, full
3: disclosure, uh, we've been bad at that in the past. right? Yeah, no, launches, absolutely. And Jordan and I were talking about this earlier. There's stuff that would come in and in a, a, a point release that would j- just blow stuff out of the water for no for no reason. Yeah. And I think our move to semantic versioning and the open source and Puppet 3, we should, you know, we really stand behind that. It's a really strong signal about what breaking changes are. And it's part of Part of my job yeah. to make sure that we're we're really deliberate about like okay it, this is this is a change that is honestly backwards incompatible we're going to have to bump a major version number it's not free it's not super it's not as expensive as doing it for enterprise releases. are pretty cheap. There but but it's I know guy, if you <laughs> <know> <laughs> guy. But I know it's guy. not but it's not free. There's some cost. There's like you know some cost to do. Definitely we want we guy. want to coalesce sure. and we want to plan it, we want to plan it out and really have a, have a good good organized release cycle, but, but it is, it's gotta be faster than, the, than open source and we gotta be able to get stuff out. I don't know if you guys saw Henrik Lindbergh's talk about the future parser and the work that he's doing. Uh, some of that came from Geppetto and the, the CloudSmith work and we're trying to pull that in the Puppet just as we're trying to push Puppet stuff closer into the IDE and the module development stuff. But that stuff is things like that, that model I think is gonna work out really well where there's, there's now, if you're running open source, you can toggle a command line flag and get access to this new stuff that you can try out. You can test out your infrastructure. You can see like, hey, wow, uh, I got, whole, I, uh, Gareth uh, Roshko said, uh, this is worth it just for the better error messages. Like it, even, if, right if well. even if it yeah. does nothing yeah. else, it gives me so much better error, error reporting that it's worth worth turning this on. We're going to try that out. There's a couple of experimental things that are in there that we're, we're doing user testing on. We're going to find out like what's the right way to do loops in the language, have, you know, what, what syntax makes the most sense to people, and then the best of those ideas are going to make it into the enterprise product hopefully within six months. So that's that's the sort of and There's all the stuff under the hood,
5: right? Like the actual, like, you know, documented wire formats, like being disciplined about versioning, you know, stuff that goes over the wire. I mean, I think it's internally, all the software that's going to be deployed, you know, on-premise that does sophisticated stuff, I think just needs to start following, it needs to follow the same patterns that you see in like GitHub's API where it's version, you know, you're, you're more, you don't just break it because you can break it, you know, you have to be thoughtful about it, and that's so the people that are integrated anymore, Sorry. <laughs> that's what people, and that's so people that, you know, integrate with it, like they're not super disrupted, and you know, you can, you can roll out stuff. Almost it, it it allows you to increase the velocity of change, you know, because you have a structured way of encapsulating kind of all the damage that you could do. People can pick up. So them. I think we kind of left
6: a point behind there, though. Like That's we it. we hit lots of really great things. I think that are going on to let future features be available now, so that they can be experimental. Like version numbers that give you signals about upgrades. But I think the reality is, unless we start doing mixed version deployments, like the stuff Deepak was talking about, upgrades are a leap of faith. And you don't want to be, you know, crossing that rope bridge and Indiana Jones stuck on the side of a half-broken rope. It's always one of the That's what the like, how do I upgrade?
0: You said something, you know, uh, <laughs> which I think is really important. You, you were saying sort of stodgy companies. And I, I think that's a common perception of companies that don't want to sort of upgrade and want stability. But if you're going to sell this to maybe enterprises like, you know, the, the Cal, Cal ISO, the, the Power People and you're going to make the argument actually, with all, you can trust Puppet to do your automation. They don't want the instability, right? It's not really a stodginess argument, it's like yeah. a. I did say quad grids
5: involved, right? Yeah. yeah. You, yeah. Need, you no, can't see the air quotes no, over no, no, no. there. <laughs> you need a better cable on the line.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, but my point is, is that's actually, I, I, I say it, we all say it, yeah. we all use that verbiage, but the next kind of frontier, you're talking about the 5%, the next kind of frontier is making an argument for like hospital infrastructure systems and stuff like that.
6: Business-wise, sometimes there are really legitimate reasons to be super conservative. Right? Yeah. yeah. Air and traffic and controllers should not muck around with pre-release software. Right. And, and Please tell me that they are <laughs> 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 I don't have any of my code running in an no air traffic control system. <laughs> yes, you do. It turns out Puppet Power is one of the German air traffic control systems. What's yeah. true? Yeah. Which funny. version? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Langerhans take a A whole yeah. lot. <laughs> So on talks, I actually wanted to bring up since a couple people gave talks in the room. Will, you you talked a couple talks, yeah? Um, and I was I, I was lamenting that I wasn't at the the boxing talk because I was like I wanted to see that one. But I did see the first talk, and uh, I think the thing that stood out to me the most. And you spent some time sort of develop. It was weird, right? Because you spent some time developing the idea, and the idea is that you know everyone can commit. We trust people to do the right thing. So you sort of talked about it and then developed it with the audience but then it was weird because it was like this is the way we roll so it was, it was this weird sort of like you're explaining it and trying to sell it but then there was this sort of well, yeah, but it's not if this is not a foreign concept to it so that was interesting to sort of see you talk about that because a lot of organizations do have 18 gates to, to actual production uh, so I thought that was fascinating
7: yeah I mean absolutely and I, I, I have to admit I'm a little bit spoiled in this regard in that every company I've worked for has been to a degree sort of of this mindset yeah, it's it's really interesting. I think when you stop and 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 approach problems from sort of I I hate the term first principles, like as as kind of like an idea, but it, it really is that's what it's about. Right? When you go back and, and say, what if for a second we pretend that we get rid of all of of sort of our built up notions about what it means to like have a company full of people, and say, what if we take a company and we hire people that we know that we trust, we hire people that we know can ship things, we say. I trust that you are capable of acting like an adult and making your own decisions and doing them in the best possible way with respect towards the company and respect towards yourself. That's crazy talk. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, Did I say <laughs> this to you, Will?
8: <laughs> <laughs> no, not to me, uh, not to me. Abstract, really. The, yeah, yeah. Piece of thoughts, It's, it's, it's an argumentative view, <laughs> not personally. Every
7: everyone does make mistakes. Um, but uh, but really if you if you come and talk to people like this and then you say Go nuts! Like as as it turns out, uh, people tend to do a good job. Yeah. You give them something that they care about, and you give them trust. And talking to, to I've got a lot of friends at Puppet Labs, and it sounds like their their day to day environment is very much the same. Like they don't they don't necessarily have everything the same, and that's okay, right? That's diversity is good. You're talking about these things are, are good, but day to day someone like Deepak doesn't have to like say hey Nigel I want to publish a blog post on how you do this with DB." and Nigel says no like that doesn't happen right well if like, it does you don't hear about well, it but, you know, exactly. yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but the whole, yes. whole idea yeah. is, is that you can trust yeah. Deepak to make a good decision and do something for the good of the company because he cares about yeah. it and he's passionate about it and he can do a good job and, and if that's he screws why I up hired. I
6: get to fire him so it's true anyways, no. honestly All I do know where you going. no Blank of more. I, I found this. This was one of the great things when I turned up at Google that I really liked about their culture. I turned up and like it felt like literally apart from the algorithm, every code repository was open. I could read it. Most of them I could commit to, and that's a huge company. What? What? One big repository, really. But you could. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get Perforce. Perforce. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were quite a few Perforce masters there running. But um, we've been trying to do the same thing very much at Publabs. We recently like switched over Confluence for all of our documentation and. People kind of went a bit crazy at first, setting up permissions. Going, here's a space, and only these people can edit, it, and only these people can post. And (laughs) and you know, who wants to manage all those permissions? You're trusting people that you hire. Why? You know, you've got rollback, you've got backups, and if you don't, that's a big problem. I think it was the
5: same with a lot of our repos, right? Like we had repos. I think for a time we had some elaborate set of groups who had read write access and stuff. And yeah, I think you and Nigel, you and I talked, and I was like,
6: this is we completely. why awesome. are we, like, I think it was Chris Price. He was onboarded. He onboarded at Puppet yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't And like it, it. it took him four weeks to get access yeah, to like, all the repos and we were just like forget this. F- stupid. stupid, yeah.
5: Like anyone can commit to anything. And, and the thing is this what like, yeah, these aren't actually Top
6: down decisions usually. Usually it's individuals who are operating in fear yeah. saying, I need to lock this thing down, I need to do it correctly.
7: Cause because that's what you're taught, right? Like that's yep. that is a system that sets you up for that sort of mentality. Yep. And I'm I'm gonna go ahead and, and shout out to a coworker here for a second mine, James Freyman. He told me about this book. It's, it's absolutely fascinating, called The Seven Day Weekend. And the premise of this book is it's about a Brazilian company who is even, I think, probably a, a great inspiration to, to Tom and the other founders at GitHub. They're a 30,000-person company who operates in the same sort of flat hierarchy that, that GitHub does in a lot of ways. And, and they've continued to scale it over decades, and it continues to work. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's a lot of people it's it's easy to jump to the natural assumption that well if you're a, a 200 person company or or a 180 person company like get you know, or puppet labs to say it can't work for me and clearly like this company has proven that it can work you can do it you, you obviously it's not going to be the same when you were 20 people but that's okay you have to you have to change a little bit and take that into account it's all a work in progress but as long as you care and as long as you you spend the time to think about how you address the problems that arise and treat them in a way that is democratic and trusting and honest with with everyone inside the company then you can do great things
6: and i think it's actually really simple like rather than hiring someone and then working out whether you can trust them you basically got to work out whether you can trust them before you hire them I, <laughs> and once you do that yeah so you can just trust, them trust them from them. within the company
0: okay. so the other thing i wanted really yeah. to bring up that i found fascinating about your talk was i thought i don't know why i thought this and i had no data for this but um I just assumed, I guess, that GitHub used VMs more than you. And so you were talking about, I actually wrote it down. You had the like, you talked about uh, we have servers and they get wrapped and then uh, they get, you know, IPMI and DHCP. And there's this whole like process where they get burned in, it's all automated and all of that. And I thought that was also interesting too. I don't know if a lot of people, I think a lot of people would just assume that it's their VMs, but they're. Yeah, no, we, we, metal
7: we do not virtualize a lot. Uh, in fact, it was only recently that we started using a lot, and by a lot, I mean any, any like measurable percentage of any of the public cloud services. Part of that, we had maybe half a dozen virtual machines on across three, bra, three boxes, and that was it. The rest of our stack entirely is bare metal. We do now use some very limited usage of, uh, for example, AWS mm-hmm. uh, for some workloads where it makes sense. But in the context of a company like GitHub, and I'm sure other companies like they've been through this sort of this this growth pattern before, you quickly find that that when you're going to build out, you know things like a large data center and stuff like that, there are a lot of things you used to outsource that you can do in house, not only better but but less expensive. And I think I think there's a we talked a little bit earlier about the whole like hybrid cloud thing. I think there's there's a lot of merit in that, which is to say use the cloud for workflows that make sense for the cloud, but don't try to force everything. Don't use it just because like, you're like, oh, it's the cloud, they're just servers, they come down from it. You know, do the thing that makes sense. We're never going to deploy incredibly stateful services on virtual machines because as it turns out, yeah, that 10% IO overhead isn't a big deal when you're running like, you know, unicorn serving web requests.
0: But when you're talking about like a database server, it actually turns out to be a big, big deal. And a lot of people, you were saying they make that transition to the cloud and, and I had have, have this experience recently personally, you get the bill. David Month, you're like, what the f-? Right? It's like, it's, you know, I, I just ran a couple of VMs and it's $1,000 or something, right? Especially
5: if you want to replicate in a cloud environment a lot of the stateful of the kind of stuff that you get from your own on-prem hardware, right? Like, I want this 32 core box with a ton of I.O., and the disk is going to be persistent. Like, sure, that's like $170 million an hour, but... I mean, I <laughs> think the, nuance, the <laughs> nuance
6: message here is really, you know... When you're first getting started, you don't have heaps of money to, you know, put out lots of capital expenditure, the cloud might make sense, you hit another point in your adoption curve, hardware starts making more sense, they can pick the right tool for the job.
7: I mean, you certainly can take that approach. You absolutely can. I mean, I think... If I had to be a, a little bit a little bit cheeky about it, I would say uh, there's a reason the word elastic is in EC2. Think, you, you think about things in the context of elastic services. They're ephemeral for a reason, right? These servers aren't made to last forever, and a lot of people tend to treat them like they are. Right. And that's, that's a yes. fundamentally incorrect they're, assumption.
0: They're not special unicorns. Right. Or they are until you get that email from Amazon where, like, we're turning this VM off in you know, and their the life cycle is indeterminate, right? You should yeah. not
8: plan that this 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 particular instance will last for three months, ten months, you know, three years. People do that and then the party ends at some point. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and exactly. moreover,
7: to come back to the whole the whole idea of like who owns your availability, the answer is obviously that you do. When it comes to stateful services, the impact of having something ephemeral taken out from underneath you is much, much greater. Than anything that is inherently stateless, right? Something like unicorn instance, you can spin up a new one. There's no no loss. There's no pain. If you ha- if you lose a database server, there are people who can't use your service. And if you're relying on someone else for that availability, then you're not really taking ownership over your product.
0: That's actually a very interesting point. The other talk, since we have Jordan here, you presented uh, more logstash awesome. Yes. Uh, so tell us about the more
8: awesomeness. So I tried to make this sort of a, a an almost sequel to my talk last year, which is more of more of an introduction to Logstash, talking about how everything works in it, and with uh, the new new version of Logstash one point two, cross my fingers is right around the corner. I introduced uh, some of the new features, promised some speed improvements. Which are yeah, are usually like 3.5 times improvement. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm always hesitant to give numbers, but people always ask
2: for numbers. Like, give me a... How many events per second can I process? I was like, I don't... What hardware
8: are you running on? Well, I'm running on an EC2 micro. I'm like, how does one <laughs> event per day sound? I mean, your startup sure time is three days. Yeah, right? I mean, like... Uh, a a couple jobs ago I tried to like downsize the machines this is a slight tangent about micros but um and I was like oh yeah I'll just run the same exact stuff puppet stuff that we run on our M1 extra larges and four hours into the first puppet run on the first boot it hadn't finished and I'm like okay this experiment has concluded we're done here um but uh, yeah, it holds, it, it's its a factor of the software, it's also a factor of the hardware that you're running on, right? And things that transfer over the network is the network fast. So uh, I, I can't give you, folks will ask me in the future, and I will say I don't know how fast it's going to be. But um, I'll tell which, you my- Which to your point, by the way, is like people don't
0: have a good, I mean, we all sort of knew what a VM on ESX on our own hardware, we have a sense of that. Yeah. And we know we're not, we shouldn't put 80,000 VMs on one machine, like we get that intuitively. right? right. You don't own that number anymore if you spin yeah, up exactly. some, some Amazon. Yeah, exactly. Like you start,
8: you, you, I mean, the EC2 is great for a lot of things. And then once you launch, you have your this big successful business on EC2, and you're like, all oh, right, we're experiencing performance problems. And you run talk, you're like, what is CPU steal? And now you're into this whole world of things that you thought you had uh, compensated for, but you actually, there's a whole world of constraints that right. you're not not accounting for, but um, just one for instance, that's a long winded way the of saying it. I can't <laughs> tell you how fast it's going to be, but in, <laughs> in my particular test, it is three and a half times faster. It's the high yeah, I mean, school, which, of which is pretty code. awesome. So
7: if you're looking at percent CPU still, you're already a step ahead because you've already like surpassed the problem of. So how does EBS work? <laughs> which yeah, is yeah. to say
8: that you know remote storage, it's not free, and there are a lot of performance implications that come with it. Yeah, and there's a lot of APIs. This is getting more into the EPS stuff and AC- EC2 stuff, but like the APIs are assuming it's local disk and other things, and we have abstractions to pretend that it's local, but it's not actually local. Jordan, did you get a feel
6: for... Did
8: your crowd change at all from last public conf to this conf? Uh, yeah, I think when I asked folks, I didn't ask directly how many people were using Logstash, but I was like, do you recognize this? And the thing I was pointing out in the screen was the the original Logstash web interface, which is the most atrocious thing I've ever written. <laughs> um, and like half the room was like this, and, I, and, that, and the point of that slide was so I can apologize to the people who were... Raising their hands because it was it was bad. Well, <laughs> so I wanted to talk about that because that was the other
0: really big part of your talk, which looked awesome. The, the uh, is it Kibana? Oh Kibana! Kibana. Oh my Kibana gosh! Kibana Kibana so awesome! So you did a demo. Yes. Uh, that was amazing because it was like you can set up a dashboard and you don't have to be you don't have to do what the what do you say business analyst or the uh, yeah, yeah you have to file the ticket with the ops people to wow. you don't mm-hmm. don't do that
8: anymore. Which, yeah, the the interface for Kibana. Um, written by someone who clearly is communicating with me uh, telepathically, but um, it's a general purpose visualization tool on log data. And by log data, I mean anything with any data that has a timestamp associated with it, uh, which could be almost any, any piece of I- uh, information in your infrastructure as long as there's, it happened at a particular place in time, then it there, then there works for Logstash and Kibana. And um, the cool thing about Kibana is that, uh, two things. One, there's no crazy-ass syntax language to learn how to query the damn thing. In my demo, I didn't like type some fancy query to get a pie chart and some other aggregations. I walked around the data, I deleted a few things that didn't need to be there in terms of removing a, removing a graph or removing a table or a list of logs. And then we added in a pie chart and without changing anything that we were querying, you can save it as a dashboard and then share that to some non-technical people. And that is really good for one, bridging the gap of, of, in terms of technology. Now, instead of configuring something in a file, which is, is almost intractable for non-technical folks, and you have to file a ticket, and you wait for some days until someone has time for it, they can just like, walk around and browse, and if they find a particular view on a piece of data they like, they can just save that and share it with their team, and it's awesome. So I, I like to the point, because you actually
0: talked, I mean, this is a very sort of DevOps thing where you're like, let's remove the barriers to let the people do the thing they need to do. Yeah. Right. And so we're talking about like old school ops people that like, I'm the graph maintainer and I do the configs for the graph. That's what I do.
8: Right. It's, it doesn't
0: make sense. Like it doesn't yeah make, it doesn't the, sense the
8: The, the problem I described in that is, I, I call it the human keyboard problem. And I've talked a little bit about this in my talk, and that's where you have, like, it could be a non-technical group, or the, the barrier could be a technology problem, or it could be an access problem. It could be that, you know, InfoSec doesn't allow developers to access their own logs, so they have to file a ticket with ops, and ops paste, like, a hundred lines or a couple hundred thousand lines into the ticket, and they say, here's your logs, have a nice day. It's not a good interface. Right. Right? And so... But well, uh, it's
0: super common. It's, it's very actually depressingly
8: common. common. It is, right? And, and you end up... The, the, the fundamental flow is that one group is using another group as their keyboard, right? You're asking, <laughs> like, like your interface to your computer primarily is going to be your keyboard. You're typing things in and it does things based on your requests. And now instead of a physical keyboard, your, your, your keyboard, you're typing on people's faces and they're responding to your pokes in tickets and then they're going to do things for you like a computer or a keyboard would. Right. And I think it's a, it's a bad situation to be in. I, I wrote a post about this on SysAdvent a couple of years ago about avoiding the, the, the keyboard problem and it, the way you solved that it was with, with improved tools. I, I think, in, in, in possibly relaxed access, right? If it's a technology trust. problem, tools Culture, can help. Yeah, trust. If it's, if it's a, is an access is? problem, it's <laughs> trust, right? And uh, the, the, the great thing about Kibana is that it's a read-only system. You cannot make modifications to the data with Kibana. So when app- InfoSec people can calm
0: down.
8: Yeah, exactly, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's partly, I'm not worried about InfoSec people because they're going to set policies that are, that are hopefully relevant to the business. But I see a lot of especially non-technical people, you'll get this with your parents that phone you up, like, how do I do this on my computer? They're afraid to like explore the interface as confusing as it might be because they're worried about hurting the computer. And now when I tell people that, you know, if you use Kibana, you can click anywhere. Like if you think somewhere looks good to click on, freaking click on that, and it's not gonna damage the system. And if it does, that's a bug and we'll fix it. But the, the, the the incentive is that like you can explore, do anything, go take a walk in the data and figure out what makes most sense for you. So you you, you just used that phrase. I wanted to, to
0: uh, bring up this point, too, because I, I really appreciated this part of your talk. So I, I sort of use Logstash kind of indirectly. I haven't like, jumped into the community. But the Logstash community and the way that you sort of view community and how open source should work permeated that talk. And there were a lot of, if x, then that's a bug. That is a bug that we should fix. And I, I really appreciate a lot of that around yeah. um, Talking about the documentation, and you're like, in certain part, like for the C library, like maybe you should go read the doc because that documentation is like pretty. But if you're talking about somebody like I want to uh, set up an instance and do a thing, yeah. like, don't
4: don't start with the documentation. Yeah, Ask, if, if
8: it's reference, right? it's 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 two parts. One, writing reference documentation, how to use a library, how a puppet module works, how to, the arguments for a file resource in puppet. Those are very straightforward for a developer of the tool that they're writing to to write, and it's almost it, it's somewhat easy for an experienced user to read through. If you're just looking how to like change the color on an image and you're using an image library, the documentation for that makes sense. But if if you don't necessarily know the path to get to your final destination, there's not going to be most of the time there's not going to be des- documentation for your start. You're here, like you go to the mall. It's like you're here. Well, the Apple Store's over there, and then you can figure that out. There's no documentation that generally follows that, like. Here's your origin. Here's your destination. Here's the path you want to take to get there, right? And that's why I push so strongly on the community to say, if you're fine, if you're confused on the documentation, or I tell a lot of Logstash users, if you're stuck in a problem for more than an hour, just like come ask for ask a question or something, like we'll get you pointed in the right direction. Most of the time it's usually a bug or, and sometimes it's it's some weird infrastructure problem that the, the collective knowledge of the community has said, well, you know, I, I, I'm not in your situation, but I understand your use case and maybe I can help steer you in the right direction. Maybe well, we don't get you to the end of your destination, but we get you in the right direction.
0: Even if that's not a bug, it's an amazing source of requirements, right? Because you're going to realize no, our, our operating problem. process is crappy for the tool. Like the yeah. installation process Absolutely. is bad, right? Yeah. And you wouldn't know that if you just told people with this, he has a slide, RTFM slide, right? Yeah. And we do that in open source, like, all the time. It's terrible. But I don't think
6: we do do it everywhere. So I would say, like, the Logstash community is a super friendly, really nice community. We have a really nice, friendly community here. Holy like, t-
8: The public community is amazing. We are amazing. Yeah, we like, love it. It's, yeah.
6: and, and it's really important. Like, it's not just warm, fuzzy, feeling nice. Like, it has a visceral impact on the new users who are adopting the tool. The number of new people I've run to at this conference who are like, Oh my god, there's these experts here who will sit down and spend 10 minutes with me explaining stuff to them. Right. And I they're not the all paid way. by the company. I feel exactly the same way.
3: Like <laughs> well, I, awesome.
0: I've
6: always loved this community, it's well, a great community. It's
0: a so nice used- one, of our- uh, you use the phrase "love-driven development," which I, I I
4: love that. So
6: so that's yeah. so a stark contrast. Jordan, how about uh, So <laughs>
8: so it, so in, in my mind, a, a bit of a, a the open in open source. I mentioned this in my talk that like the part the part of that word. If I were to pick the most important word, is open source can be infinitely replicated in a digital world. Like I can make a billion copies in half a second because technology is fast. But the and so the hand does that. Yeah, exactly. Right? And there's, there's no effort to copying or, or exposing that source code to someone else. But there is a lot of, a lot of effort that's required to, you know, uh, taking someone under your wing and, and calling them down and their they're, they're epic frustration they've spent a day trying to learn this tool that they heard is cool that management said find us a logging solution or an automation solution and they don't understand and they're frustrated and they're mentally down the wrong path and the only thing that is going to bring them back to sanity is a human. Because humans can empathize and sympathize with other humans, a computer is—I mentioned this in the talk—is just as good as a wall. Like you can talk to a computer and read all the walls of documentation all day long, and that will never get you on the right path. As a human, saying, "I understand what you're thinking. Here's what it actually is. And now let's drive on over." That empathy is—it's like it's pragmatic too.
6: Like you—you you give it out to people. And it it, comes spreads. Yeah. They come it spreads. They come back, they bring more users into your community, they talk at your conferences, they contribute code back to your projects more willingly. Like, it's not just a warm fuzzy, you know, this makes people well, feel good.
0: And it took me a long time to learn, I mean, right, my background in programming, so I'm not, but a long time to learn that like, it's not just warm fuzzies. Like, we say that because it's the language we use. There's like brain chemistry that talks about when somebody's freaking out and how you react to them. Like, yeah, you essentially like, have to talk them functional down. We have our eyes now that tell us, <laughs> yeah. we were using the language of warm-puzz, but actually
6: there's the brain science. You can't make good decisions when right. you're in exactly. that sort of frazzled,
8: stressed-out exactly. state. And that's why I'm telling them when they're in this like panicked state, this jumping state that, you know, you're an idiot, go read the effing manual. Right. Like this terrible proposition, it's you're just like, mad. you're asking them to yeah. go you're get some... Like, they the ledge and you're like, yeah. I mean, that's terrible. It's a horrible proposition. So I wanted to ask
0: favorite talks. There were, I mean, there were tons of great talks. All the talks were great. Uh, and, and I, own, I mean, uh, they were online. I was talking about the fact that there were so many good ones, and you had to pick and choose. And they are being posted. Yeah. Um, but what were some of the other uh, talks that you enjoyed? You all got to.
3: So I thought uh, Jez's keynote this morning was really great. He's one of the very few people on the planet that I would unironically use the term thought leader for. I mean, the guy <laughs> really was just throwing down some knowledge yeah. and, and really like clarifying things for me that I had understood, but hadn't been able to to put into into words and before. He presented on don't um, hire DevOps people, grow them, grow and them. innovation culture exactly. and that kind
0: of stuff, yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: Cultivation culture, or I cultivation think, was, culture. Was, was, was kind of the thing. Yes, yeah.
6: It, I loved Gordon's keynote too. Like, I think all the keynotes were pretty first class. Mm-hmm. Um, Gordon from Google, his keynote was amazing. Gordon was one of the people who taught me an awful lot about sysadmining.
7: Uh, plus one to Gordon, actually, on that one. Uh, but if I have to pick one that's unique, uh, I would say, Eric, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to do your name, Like just such injustice right now. Eric Dolan at Spotify uh, had a talk at 420. It was about what they're, what they're doing at Spotify. They're doing a lot of really interesting things with regards to puppet tooling, I think, to make it a little bit more robust.
3: Eric Dalian's amazing too and I want to shout out to him as a community contributor and uh, just as somebody who has really like taken stuff that we've built or have laid frameworks around and just taken it places that we didn't really expect things to go. It's really been pretty incredible. And he's really, really been working in public for like less than a year I think. I mean he's obviously been doing Development and systems administration, and they kind of like both work on both sides for a long time. But he's really only been been working on Puppet for a year, so that's been pretty awesome. Yeah,
4: because you know, because their infrastructure is so massive, and they need to so quickly spin up a bunch of you know just a bunch of infrastructure all at once, he's really kind of pushed some of the limits, and been fantastic about submitting pull requests for things too, which yeah. has been.
1: Which is amazing. So Will's not gonna
6: <laughs> Will's not gonna toot his own horn, but I I didn't get to make it because I was busy doing other stuff. But I heard nothing but great things about your talk. Yeah, thanks. Nice. I was there and I it was I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, it was it was good.
0: Uh, Paul Stack from
6: OpenTable did a
0: talk on uh, with Windows. Windows actually. I'll read Windows having its ass kicked by Puppet and PowerShell since 2012. <laughs> um, and I I, I really like that he gave that talk because well a couple of things we often think about Unix and Linux first. And then there's more Mac stuff, especially with Box and write more Mac stuff. But we often don't a Puppet or Chef, you don't think about them doing this with Windows. Because, and somebody asked about this, it's like, well, doesn't Microsoft have a tool for it? And he said, well, yeah, it's, it's this tool, I can't even remember the name, but it's, it's crappy and it's enterprise ready. And I have all of the community support and stuff around Puppet, why would I not use that? So I think there's
6: there's, there's kind of a bunch of things. I I just hit a couple of them. One is like, if you're a grown up sysadmin, like dissing platforms is just boring
0: Right, like really, <laughs> exactly.
3: People people do real work on Windows. You like know, spelling it, Microsoft with a dollar sign. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> it's, it's like, like the, the Microsoft, Microsoft Windows. Right. Let
6: go of your anger. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, I mean, like, we've invested a lot in Windows over the last year or two, and it's been really great bringing those yeah. people all into the community. Yeah, yeah well, I I to, this, I is to,
3: this is like actually one of actually a trend of several Windows-related uh, talks that's going on. Rob Reynolds is one of the, the new Windows developers yeah. on the platform team did both a, um, a hands-on lab as well as a talk about chocolatey, the uh, package provider that he wrote. So I heard friends. about
0: that. I'm like, I shivered when
5: Paul did that. Oh, like, chocolatey oh, <laughs> <amazing. laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, like, is amazing. We were like, you're like, why did it take so long <laughs> for someone to realize like, <laughs> that
0: was something that needed to exist? Right. No, I was like, I have five clients that they can stop pulling their hair out now. Like, as soon as we have this conversation about chocolate. Speaking
6: yeah tools from Microsoft, though, like, I think, to be honest, imitation's the sincerest form of flattery, and we've seen Microsoft come out with their, what's it called, desired state configuration yes, yes. system, Oh yeah, that, and it pretty much uses the same terminology as Puppet, like, and... I think it was actually a cut and paste from McFayorland's doc. It may possibly be. But they're using the same model, like, it's important to have a declarative model, it's text-based, you can store it in version control, you can apply it easily. There's,
7: there's a new PowerShell-based one, too, which yep. is kind of crazy. Like, Honestly, I, I don't know a whole lot about running Puppet on Windows, but I gotta I gotta just say thank you. Like we have a, a WebKit core developer who wrote all of our Windows support inside of GitHub. Like we have Windows VMs, you know, some yeah. for GitHub for Windows. He wrote all of it by himself. He taught himself Puppet for this. And that's that, like in twenty thirteen that like that's a possibility. Now it blows my mind that a WebKit developer is like, yo, I'm gonna write some Puppet it's so can have CI boxes. And to be fair, like
6: I actually think the Microsoft probably many of us grew up with is probably not the company that we have now. Right. Like ran into this a great this great guy Peter at Microsoft doing
3: Hyper-V support for OpenStack. They have to the we've talked to the uh, talked to the, um, the Azure guys a yeah. lot, and they're 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 keenly interested in getting Puppet running better on Azure because that's what people are asking for.
0: Well, the weird and that was it probably will almost ever be the company we grew up with because the news today that Ballmer left. I mean that's that's yeah. That's, you know it's
7: kind of, of I, I got that was say, a weird
5: kind <laughs> of like. We should, yeah. we should watch Pirates of the Silicon Valley. <laughs> <laughs> to, uh... I, I gotta say,
7: like seriously, I'll, I'll like Godspeed to, to, Stephen, but at the same time, you know, it's really weird when the company's stock goes up seven uh, points. When
8: you naturally, when you naturally, brutal. Big. That's <laughs> forty after. Yeah. Yeah.
0: that's a great video. Yeah. I also want Mitchell uh, Hashimoto, Whenever he speaks, it's amusing, I, I loved all of the the stories he had, that he told the story about, that VMware, you could run VMs inside VM. so he's like, well let's just keep doing that, and he's like, got 8Deep, and then he was like, we well, you click and the thing would
2: just splutter, <laughs> and then he would come up, he so like,
0: he's always, always got just like awesome. He was also telling something about working with the VMware provider, with Vagrant, and he went to some client of his and they were like, Well, we budgeted in two weeks for this project. And was like, Well, I did it in 45 minutes. And he was like, I shouldn't have told him that because he's like, Well, I'm going to pay you an hour then. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I was like, Oh, Mitchell's stories are great.
6: Too nice for his
0: own. Life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then also, um, Moses Mendoza and Madhouse Owens. Yeah. Uh, and I mentioned this before, did the uh, I gotta give a shout out to the release engineers. Yeah. Right? Release engineering totally they did a, a great presentation. We have and, a
3: lot of people at Puppet Labs that work really hard, and those guys are work harder than anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, they, well, they bust
0: ass. So the one thing that uh, he said in his presentation, uh, Moses said this, because I saw that a version of their presentation at the release engineering workshop conference back in March, and he said up front, he's like, if you saw that talk, and a couple of us had in the room, it's like, our infrastructure is totally different, and here's the way it's different, and, and all the stuff they've been able to do. So that was an amazing talk, and of course, we had the, the hug about HPOPS and AIX, and you have to back for that. Puppet in 2014. What does the next year have in store for Puppet and Puppet Labs? So to, to touch on something we were talking about earlier, I think a lot of it is actually going to be
7: taking wonderful ideas from the rest of the configuration management automation space and applying them in the Puppet ecosystem. I think that's in a way f- that makes sense. In absolutely, Puppet. and I think that's an incredibly important thing for us to do. You look at, uh, I mean, even the chef community is doing this too. Like Wireguard y- support, years and years and years, they argue. Why would you ever need no-op? And suddenly, why would yep. support is there? It's very, very powerful, and I think we have a lot to learn from them as
3: well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, one, one of the one of the next step features, and this will hit in open source in the next week in uh, Puppet Open Source three three zero, is uh, some work that the platform developers have been doing on manifest order evaluation of resources. So previously, the evaluation of resources, if you didn't explicitly list dependencies, has been pretty opaque, and a lot, it causes pain for new users. It's, it's deliberately opaque, and so one of the changes that we're going to try out, and again, this is a, another uh, experimental feature that you can enable with a command line flag. We're going to try it out and see. There's a concern from many quarters that this may actually cause more problems than it solves, but what we, it, there's been enough pressure and enough, like, you know, people actually legitimately are, get super frustrated and flip out about it and spin off of the ecosystem before they get to the point in the learning curve where they're past it. So we figured we'll give it a try. It's now pluggable. What what order resources happen in, and we can turn it on so that they happen directly in the order that you write them out in the file. It sounds kind of crazy but my favorite yeah. feature about this is like I think the ina- the
6: thing this enables which is we now have a command line option for completely random or ordering, ordering. Yeah. when yeah. you <laughs> haven't specified dependencies yeah. oh um, sweet and I actually so. built something to do this in a previous job where I would like shuffle my catalog and do all sorts of stuff to the thing so that it well work. you used to have
2: a,
8: that feature was almost by default before Puppet 2.7 before before, <laughs> two, before we two don't two exactly. talk
2: about the dark so, days so, 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 yeah. I like the, the dark, day, day, dark days were good <laughs>
3: That was pre two six zero and bug sixty nine eleven is the one that changed it and then and this one will come hey, you up. Know exactly, yeah. you know it's
0: a scar when you know the bug now. that is because we
3: have everything. This, is, this yeah. is how my brain works. I yeah, yeah. just yeah. I have red mine inside here. So, so, so I got
7: to yeah. be honest. i this is completely selfish. I would love to get like that like uh, arbitrary catalog ordering into our spec itself. We like, you know, because, totally so R-spec do that. has this right. Absolutely. The whole idea is yeah the seed uh, I would love to see this in our code. So a
3: shout out here to Andy Parker who wrote this, uh, and, and Patrick Carlo who wrote this. Change in such a way that like when I came back and was like, as a product guy, like, oh, by the way, guys, I know you guys just coded this feature and committed it, but it'd be really great if that was selectable by a command line flag. They had refactored along the way in such a way that it was literally a day for them to make that so that it was selectable, and along the way, Andy implemented the random order just out, out just as a as a talk. While you know, I'm here. Yeah, while I'm, while I'm in here, I'll well, just do this. So, so, yeah. that's, so, so that's gonna hit in 330 next week, and then we'll, we'll figure out what's going on with it and whether it's, whether, whether it's gonna happen in the, in the open source version. Probably a lot of other kind of experimental changes along the open source side, all moving towards this idea of a really r- radically scalable, asynchronous-based execution execution model that's described out in our um, armatures repository we had a couple of armatures shout outs and comments about it it's a, it's in a github repo githubcom slash armatures and that's where the discussion around this sort of thing is 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 happening
6: i'd be really surprised if we hit the end of next year and we didn't at least have some prototypes out around a new core like running go c++ whatever it is and trying out some some of those sort of experiments there to r- reduce the footprint of the agent. We're, we're basically
3: <laughs> we're going to go for all parentheses. I think. Like, <laughs> so I
7: this is a totally leading question, but but I, I love. So I got so many questions about this. So what's what's kind of the future with things, for example, like uh, the puppet module tool? What can we expect in the future with puppet module tool, puppet forge, module file?
3: Well, that's a great question. Well, let me talk a little <laughs> bit about modules. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, there was a lot of talks in the in the conference program about modules and about reusability, improved reusability to modules. Yeah, um, yeah. uh, Luke, Luke mentioned supported modules, and we actually, in the past, I think, three months, have more or less quadrupled the amount of people working on the Forge and working on modules as their full-time job. So we're going to see modules come out uh, that are get, given lots of love underneath the Puppet Labs namespace. We're going to see modules that have like improved coding standards, probably some, I don't want to make too many promises that are outside of my particular bailiwick, but uh, like it would be, I think it would be pretty awesome. And I think the team's working towards kind of a Travis CI kind of setup for modules. You put stuff up on the, on the forge and we'll like tell you whether it passed all the tests, whether it has tests, how those te- you know, how were the coverage is of them. And that way people will be, be able to really have a great idea about, like, this module is super reliable and, you know, it's written really well and it supports these operating systems. It supports these versions of Puppet and has these dependencies on other, on other things outside of itself. So that's This will be really the, great for authors, too, because yeah, you'll true.
6: be able to get early warning that if the current unreleased master branch breaks your module... You'll be able to get fixes in before Puppet actually. Gets or if you
8: finished. want to support older versions of Puppet that you just aren't interested in testing yeah. yourself or other platforms. It's expensive yeah. and complicated right. to test. Yeah. Properly. So right now we don't really
3: have a way to express like, hey, this module is written for this level of Puppet, uh, you know, of the Puppet language, but it supports above it a little bit, it supports below it a little bit. So we really need to be able to express that.
7: I mean, Rubygems is not the greatest example, but I'm sure we can steal some ideas from that.
0: So the question that is probably on everyone's mind: uh, the fairmount was pretty slang do we know where next year's PuppetConf is going to be? No comment. Have we announced that yet? No comment.
6: No comment? We uh, can so absolutely really definitively it. announce that there will be a Public Conf 2014.
0: There you go. All right, well, thank you all for joining us. This was a great panel. Thanks for your thoughts on PuppetConf 2013. Thank and you. Awesome. Thank thanks. You. Thanks for nice recording us. Uh, and we will be back in a moment here on the show show. All right, welcome back to The Ship Show. So tonight, for our last segment, we're actually reprising a segment that we did for ChefConf. Uh, we did the word association game. We took the same, I don't know, it was 15 or so words to PuppetConf with a couple of changes to make the list more puppet-specific. So I think instead of cookbooks, we used modules. That, But it was, a, for the most part, the same 15 sets of words, and we went and asked everyone for the first word that jumps into their head when we go through the list. So here we go, the PuppetConf 2013. Uh, word association game and I am here with adaptive computing and, and you are Thomas Bennett okay all right so we're doing word association oh is this your first puppet comp yes it is awesome okay great so uh word association game puppet awesome cloud made up devops future <laughs> configuration management puppet culture changing automation puppet <laughs> ruby gems uh, idempotency Ooh. Uh, good practice <laughs> release engineering Uh, non-existent. (laughs) Shell scripts. Powerful. Convergence. Together. Version control. Git. Modules. Pieces. Uh, Community. Uh, Forums. Blank all the things. Do all (laughs) the things. Uh, I never blank, but when I do, I always blank. (laughs)
1: Uh,
0: I never test, but when I do, it's in production. Uh, And hashtag blank. Hashtag no Twitter. (laughs) Great, thank you. All right, I'm here with... Brian York. And you are with?
8: Oh, I'm with Jawbone.
0: All right. Uh, and is this your first PuppetConf? Yes. All right, cool. Puppet. Configuration management. Cloud. AWS. DevOps. Devs and ops working together. Configuration management. Puppet. Culture. DevOps. Automation. Puppet. Ruby. Puppet. <laughs> Item potency. Puppet. Release engineering. Please don't say puppet.
5: <laughs> um, DevOps. Shell scripts. Ops.
0: Convergence. Uh, DevOps Virgin Control uh, Git Modules Puppet Community DevOps Blank all the things Ship I never blank, but when I do, I always blank
8: <laughs> Pass on that one, I don't know
0: And, uh, hashtag blank DevOps Thanks And I am with Adam Steffes from Jive Software Awesome, and uh, is this your first Puppet call? It is Great, alright, so word association game, Puppet Marionette Cloud Oh, jeez that was my answer. <laughs> oh. DevOps. Speed. Configuration management. Essential. Culture. Critical. Automation. Loading the shotgun and aiming it at your foot. <laughs> Ruby. Wish more people knew it. Item potency. Definitely desirable. Hard to achieve. Release engineering. Hard at scale. Shell scripts. Bane of my existence. Convergence. Overused. Version control. Uh, essential. Absolutely essential. Modules. Modular. Community. Love. Blank all the things. Automate. Uh, I never blank, but when I do, I always blank. (laughs) (laughs) He said it, not me. (laughs)
4: Uh,
0: And hashtag blank. Uh, Hashtag jive. All right, thanks. Thank you. All right, so we are here with Christopher Weber. And you are with Demand Media. And uh, is this your first public comment? It is. Awesome, great. All right. So we're gonna do word association game. I'm going to say a word, and you're going to say the first word that pops into your head. Okay. All right, Puppet. Configuration management. Cloud. A lie. DevOps. Get shit done. Configuration management. Puppet. Culture. Gene Kim. Automation. Puppet. Idempotency. Puppet. Release engineering. Uh, Sober build (laughs) engine. Shell scripts. Evil.
4: Convergence. A chef thing. Version control. Awesome. Modules. Uh,
0: m- the Forge. Community. Awesome. Blank all the things. Test all the things. I never blank, but when I do, I always blank. I never test, but when I do, I do it in production?
1: Right. How's that?
0: That works. And then hashtag blank. PuppetConf. All right. Thank you very much. So I am with? Sony PlayStation. And you are? SysAdmin. And so word association game. First word that pops in your head. Puppet.
2: Uh, Gonzo.
0: <laughs> Cloud. Rain. DevOps. Ops. Configuration management. Subversion Culture uh, Bacteria Automation Machinery Ruby Gem potency. <laughs> Viagra Release <laughs> engineering SCM uh, Shell scripts
4: Bash Convergence
0: uh, Routing uh, Version control SCM Modules Manifests Community Elephant Blank all the things Screw uh, I never blank, but when I do, I always blank
2: Think, but I always
0: think slow. <laughs> uh, hashtag blank.
4: That's going to be hashtag conundrum. Great, thank you. You're welcome. And I am here with Chad Thompson. And you were with? I am with Dice Holdings oh. of uh, Iowa. Nice. All right. And um, this is your first public it
0: is It cool. is. All right. So word association game. All right, word association <laughs> game. <Right.
4: laughs> puppet. Big Bird. Cloud. Amazon. DevOps. What I do, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Configuration management. Configuring, making life easier. Culture. Culture. What we all wish we had a better one of. <laughs> Automation. Making my life easier. <laughs> Ruby. Objects. Item potency. The thing that I'd like all of our systems <laughs> to be. <laughs> uh, release engineering. The job I often don't want. <laughs> <laughs> Shell script. A lot of experience I wish I didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> Convergence. Places we need to go. Version control. Absolutely essential. <laughs> uh, modules. How most of my puppet code should actually look. <laughs> Community. A fantastic one here at PuppetCon. Blank all the things. Automate all the things because I've seen the t-shirts walking around and it's (laughs) all been stuck in my head. Uh, I never blank, but when I do, I always blank. I am drawing a blank on that one. (laughs) (laughs) And hashtag blank. Hashtag everything. (laughs) There you go. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. All right. So you are?
0: Leslie with Wikimedia. Awesome. And is this your first PuppetCon? It is. Awesome. Great. All right. So word association game. Puppet. All right. Marionette. Cloud. Clown. DevOps.
8: Sysops.
0: (laughs) Configuration management. F*** you. Uh, Culture. Bacteria. Automation.
8: Uh, Machines. Ruby. On Rails.
0: Idempotency. Dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) Release engineering. Annoying. Shell scripts. Bash. Convergence. Buzzword. Version control. Git. Modules. Puppet. Community. Yay. Blank all the things
8: eat all the things.
0: I never blank, but when I do, I always blank.
8: <laughs> I, I never push
0: code, but when I do, I do it in production. <laughs> and hashtag blank. Hashtag
8: win. Great. Thanks.
0: All right. I am with?
8: Jordan Cassell.
0: A few people know who you are.
8: Maybe. I try to keep a
0: low head. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you're with? That's oh, a secret. Okay. A secret. We can't talk about it. All right. <laughs> uh, and is this your first public call?
8: Oh, no. This is probably my third or fourth.
0: Okay, cool. All right, word association. Puppet. Awesome. Cloud.
8: Bad words.
0: (laughs) DevOps. Good but overused. (laughs) Uh, Configuration management. Excellent. Culture. Necessary. Automation. Good. Ruby.
8: Sometimes good.
0: (laughs) Item potency.
8: It's a very long word, isn't it? (laughs)
0: Yes. Uh, Release engineering.
8: Hmm. Nothing comes to mind. Uh, Release engineering. I don't even know blank total blank. I'm just, uh, maybe I'm just Zen. Just, I'm is just Zen. zen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, shell scripts.
8: Oh, <laughs> is that your word? It's not a word, but yes. Yeah, okay. oh.
0: <laughs> convergence.
8: That, I don't, that's too much. Too much marketing.
0: <laughs> uh, version control.
8: Uh, not worth fighting about. That's a good
0: one. Uh, modules.
8: If um, hmm, what word do I say for that? Uh, associate. I, my brain. It's not working. <laughs> Modules componentization is the word I'm looking Oh, right. Write. There we go. Community. Uh, love.
0: Blank all the things.
8: Mm, log all the things. That's a good
0: one. Uh, I never blank, but when I do, I always blank.
8: Uh, I never puppet, but when I do, all of production goes down. <laughs> and hashtag blank. Mm, hug Ops. There
0: you go. Thank you, sir. All right. So, yeah, that was the uh, the word association game. We'll probably do it again at some point. It's always fun to see uh, what different people think and what different communities think about the sets of words uh, when they are spoken. So, from San Francisco, this is Paul Reed signing off. From
2: Drake, in Massachusetts, this is EJ Saramillo signing off. From San Diego, this is Yusuf signing off. Have a great couple weeks.